welcome back or welcome to the Humans of Triathlon or Hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with humans of triathlon from around the globe and from all walks of life So let me ask you something, fellas. Um, does any of you here suffer from a rare genetic disease that causes episodes of mass swelling that are intensely painful and interfere with your breathing and digestion, as in every single day? Does any of you, on top of that, also have the stigma of everyone else telling you you can't do stuff or you can't do this or that because of this disease? You know, like having allegedly like low... Uh, lung capacity or having allegedly too small body? Mm. Well, regardless if you have this or not, let me tell you, and if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you can imagine that there's no freaking excuse not to stop binge watching Game of Thrones, right? And go and get your, okay, I don't want to say the ugly word, your posterior out there, (laughs) do some training and get some races done, will you? And if you ain't convinced, stay tuned for the next hour while we walk with this uh, power lady with her incredible attitude and her signature pink-purple hair strip. So, folks, let's welcome to the Humans of Triathlon show the lovely Rachel Wall. Hello. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well today. Yeah. Where are you right now? I, I believe you're traveling? Yes, I'm actually in Philadelphia right now. Um, live in Denver, but I'm in, I'm kind of all over for the weekend. What are you there for? I was in Ohio for my cousin's graduation yesterday. And then um, this ended up kind of being the, the closest city with an airport. So we just drove over this morning and are staying here this evening and going to fly back to Denver tomorrow. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it's pretty cool that you took some time in your travels to come on to the podcast with us. So thank you very much. Yeah, super excited. Absolutely. Glad to have you. Thank you. So, you know, just to get things going on our podcast, we like to ask our guests to take us back to their childhood and just, you know, begin your story. Okay. I uh, grew up not uh, super athletic. So the disease that I have is something that you're born with um, because it's very rare. I wasn't actually diagnosed until I was 24 years old. Um, So I had symptoms obviously um, interfered with uh, most of my daily life and, you know, tried to find answers, get treatment and such, but just never really could. Um, And so both of my parents are very athletic people. Um, I always kind of wanted to to do that and and I would sort of try, but just wasn't really capable, um, to be honest. And uh, I heard a lot uh, very often, like, you know, why, why don't you just sit down and take it easy? Um, but my, my mom especially was always just very encouraging and willing to help me try to do whatever my version of, of something would end up looking like and always just really uh, encouraged me to live 
the life that I wanted. And, you know, it, it might be more difficult. It might hurt more, but would you rather try and do some version of it or just sit and regret not being able to? Um, so I've always kind of had that, you know, it, it doesn't matter what, if someone tells me I can or can't do it, I want to try if I want to try. But it wasn't until I was, you know, in my mid twenties that I started actually being able to do anything athletic but physically. So like earlier, uh, because you weren't able to diagnose it, like what, what were, what were the doctors saying and what were you thinking? Um, it was honestly just a lot of pain. Um, so the, the mass swelling episodes are, um, they can range from, you know, I, my hands swell up and I, you know, I can't really close my hands into a fist. That's considered more minor. The abdominal swelling, um, it can be more minor where you just kind of not really absorbing much of what you're eating um, to the point of, of intense pain that, you know, you can't really eat. Um, but it can also develop into full anaphylaxis. So, you know, your throat swelling shut, um, your eyes swelling shut. Um, that is less, less common, but it would still happen, you know, a couple of times a year and you get rushed to the hospital because you can't breathe. And they start running through allergy testing and, and I'm not allergic to anything and they can't figure out why this is happening. And so I honestly developed a lot of, of fear and, and paranoia even, you know, you just think, well, they certainly they've missed something. And so I became terrified of, you know, of eating, of taking medication because I was, I was so afraid that, that it would, that it would trigger one of these swelling episodes and that they had just somehow missed that, you know, oh goodness, this, this was the cause. Um, so I was really through my teens and, and early adulthood, I've, I had a lot of, of fear um, and it, it developed into pretty severe anxiety. And I was, I was paranoid about everything I touched or ate or places I went, you know, just in constant fear of one of these swelling episodes happening. So you mentioned you got, you were officially diagnosed at 24 so, yes, you know, you went a long time going to all these physicians and I'm sure your, your mother was probably pulling out her hair. Yes. <laughs> going, oh my gosh, how can I help? And um, so who was it who finally stopped doing the allergy tests and started figuring out that there was something else going on and, and made an official diagnosis? And also, is there a, a name to your, the genetic disorder that you have? Yes. So the genetic disorder is called hereditary angioedema. Oh. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was one of the just like wildest moments when I finally got a diagnosis. I had been um, visiting a friend in Pueblo, Colorado, and I was driving, it's about a two hour drive south from Denver. And so I was driving back to Denver and I was between, I was driving by myself between Colorado Springs and Denver, there's there's really not much of anything at all, um, not even really anywhere to stop. And out of nowhere, I, I started swelling up badly, like my, my throat was swelling. I was going to have to use epinephrine. Um, so I frantically started looking for a place to stop and came upon an exit that I saw it just had like a, a supermarket. And I thought, you know, at the very least, I'll, I'll just use my epinephrine and, and run in and tell someone to call an ambulance. Um, but there was actually an outpatient clinic there, like an urgent care. And 
so I stopped there and they, you know, did everything they could to help me and then sent me to the closest hospital. And after I was admitted there and they had kind of gotten everything, uh, you know, under control as much as possible, the doctor who was assigned to the room that they ended up putting me in had seen the disease before and recognized it oh, wow. out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's usually only one side of your face will swell. That's a part of what makes the disease unique. So like one eye, one side of your mouth will swell and instead of both sides. So it's unilateral swelling instead of bilateral. And he recognized that unilateral swelling. It was like, Oh, I know what you have. <laughs> Sounds like it sounds like an op like an episode of Doctor House. Somebody like no. <laughs> like I said, it was the wildest story. He was just like, "Oh, hey, I've seen this before. I recognize it. This is what you have." And so, like, did the testing and was like immediately fast tracked into a treatment program, and it all just sort of took off from there. Wow. Yeah. You could even like even write uh, uh, I don't know like an episode of a show because I mean you're like driving in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And suddenly you find this like, hospital and then this doctor knows, Dr. House comes. It's just like, wow. Yeah. yeah. I was like, it was like not a great thing that happened, but it was almost like a lucky day for you. Right. Because like the hospital, it's, it's kind of on the outskirts of Denver, but I never would have ended up there. Like had I been at home or wherever when this happened, like I never would have driven all the way to that hospital, obviously to get care, you know, there's four other hospitals between me and there. So yeah, I never would have actually ended up there if I hadn't been visiting my friend. So what was it like getting the, finally getting to know what you're going through, like having a diagnosis? Well, how did that, did that help um, remove any of that fear that you had before? It did. It very much did. And especially, um, you know, once I started getting treatment that was effective. Um, but then I also, I, I literally had to relearn who I was outside of this disease. Mm -hmm. You know, I had, I had um, created this person who basically just existed around not triggering a swelling episode. And so at 25 years old, I basically had to relearn who I was, who I really was outside of this disease that had controlled me for so long. And triathlon was honestly a big part of that. Curious in terms of the treatment program that you went in, what, what kind of things, uh, have they given you to learn how to control the episodes or I'm not exactly sure how to, to, to say it. So like to, to, so that you could have that new life. Right. Um, it's, uh, there's, there's several, there's four different types of this disease. Um, one of them is very easy to treat. Um, the other three are not so easy. And of course, when, you know, when you know it, I don't have the type that's just super easy to treat. Um, so it's, it's sort of a um, figuring it out as you go. Um, there's certain things that they know will trigger swelling, um, like it, um, extreme emotional stress will actually trigger a, a angioedema episode. So that's a fun thing to learn to navigate. Um, don't be stressed. Don't be stressed. Um, so that, you know, stuff like that. And then, um, nailing down a diet that works for you. Anti-inflammatory diet is a big part of it. Um, but then there's also anti-inflammatory medications, um, that you take. It's not, uh, uh, histamine swelling. So things like Benadryl or allergy medications are not effective. It's, it's not the same thing that causes the swelling. So it's not um, antihistamines. You take anti-inflammatory type medication. 
And then I have to do um, a good bit of respiratory therapy as well, just um, living so long with the, the disease and, and the inflammation in my lungs has led to developing asthma. Oh. So how did triathlon come into the mix then? You've had all of these things. Your parents are really active. You know, you've wanted to do sports and your mom's super supportive and wants you to try, but you have, you know, all the, like these the other things that you're dealing with. Triathlon's a pretty, can be quite an involved sport. So yeah. what led you to triathlon? So my mom uh, had starting to, started doing triathlons about probably five years uh, before that, um, before I had gotten the diagnosis. She had started doing them uh, around then. And I just saw like what a, um, a positive influence it was on her life. And it was sort of this free space to be herself. And, and so it was very empowering to her. And I, that was really initially what sort of drew me was watching her go through that process. And here I was, you know, having to learn who I was, relearn who I was and learn how to express who I was. Um, and I found it very appealing having watched her go through this, this, you know, community and gone to some of her races and just seeing the positive impact that it was. I really wanted that. Um, I also wanted something that I could kind of do consistently because I was extremely underweight. Um, I'm, I'm about five feet, six inches. And when I was diagnosed, I weighed 93 pounds. Oh. Um, yeah. So I, I needed to gain a great deal of weight and muscle. <laughs> um, and so I wanted something honestly, a little bit strenuous that would keep me involved and, and keep me um, moving forward and getting healthier. What was that process like of deciding to, you know, that you're going to do this triathlon when, and you, you know, like you said, you're underweight, you're frail. How, what was that process like to get strong enough to be able to race? It was a very long process. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, my mom told me to, at the time she still lived in Alabama. Um, she told me to pick a race there in Colorado and that she would come do it with me. Um, and that we would train, you know, quote together, um, long distance, obviously, but, you know, check in, did you do your training today? How did it go? That sort of thing. Um, and so I picked a sprint triathlon, just, you know, little short distance, um, that was about 10 months away, I believe nine or 10 months, something like that. And, and started training. And so I, I started, you know, kind of trying to lift weights when I say weights, you know, very lightweight. <laughs> um, and then, um, I took a few swim lessons to kind of like, I knew how to swim, like stay afloat, but I, you know, I obviously didn't have any sort of swim form, anything like that. So took a couple of swim lessons, kind of learned how to swim, got a bike and just, you know, got back outside on my bike and just sort of like, you know, really started slowly trying to be active. Um, and then I just, I, I uh, looked up a, a sprint training plan and followed that for about six months uh, and trained six days a week, you know, really, really hard, um, gained some weight, gained some muscle, got to where I could, I could run a 5k without stopping. And then, you know, day of the race rolls around and maybe the hardest thing I've ever done still to this day. Um, you know, I had trained for 10 months and I still just, 
barely, barely finished um, this this little sprint. Um, but I came across that finish line and knew that that was what I wanted more than anything was to continue this and that I had I had found a place for myself there. Before you tell us about that race, I have to say that I'm impressed and I find it super cool that out of all people who could have brought you to the triathlon, it was your mom. Yeah. I mean, it could have been your, I don't know, a colleague, a cousin, a friend of mm -hmm. another. It was your mom. I said, come and let's go and let's do Escape of Alcatraz together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. She, Kudos to yeah. her. She's, she, yeah, she's, she's great. Hmm. So she must have been super proud of you. Was she there at the end of the? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So she had, she had obviously finished before I did, and she was she was waiting there on the other side of the finish line to catch me. Um, and it was it was just a really incredible moment. And how much weight had you gained in that ten months um, from when you you know first got your diagnosis to when you decided when you raced? I had gained about. I had gained close to 15 pounds at that point. Like I had, I had really started to, it took, you know, it took a while initially, but in the last few months before the race, I had really started to put on some muscle. Um, I was still very small, still underweight, but I had started to uh, get bigger and get some muscle on me actually. <laughs> and do you, do you, do you find that most of the muscle came from the the exercise, the weights, or did you find that you were able to change your diet now that you had that diagnosis and, and we're getting like learning more about what you had? Right. Well, a good part of it was that, you know, once I started um, getting treatment and I didn't have so much gastric swelling, I was actually able to absorb the things that I was eating, which is pretty cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> I was able to, you know, like actually fuel my body and, um, get the proper nutrition. And then like, I, I still honestly struggle to, um, maintain enough weight. Like I have to be very focused on eating enough in a day, eating enough of the right things in a day, or I very quickly start to lose weight again. Um, so it's, it's a slow process and one that I still have to, to really, you know, watch closely. Um, but it made a huge difference to be able to actually absorb the things that I was eating and be able to actually fuel my body. <laughs> I imagine. I am. I imagine so. I mean, we, every the tri in triathlon or sports or actually in most things, like that's one of the big topics, right? Is how do you fuel? Yeah. How do you get through your race? And and so many people like we don't have the same issues as you, and we're talking about how we're going to get through the race with fueling, <laughs> and that's something you're struggling with you just every day, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, how has that evolved over? the past little bit in terms of, you know, now, you know, what to eat, what you can eat. Yeah. Um, it, so initially I was, I was, um, very like focused on doing, you know, oh, well, everyone else says this, this works great. You know, this is what you should be eating or drinking or, you know, whatever. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. And especially when I started trying to do longer distance races, um, I really had no clue. And so I just, you know, started reading and it was like, oh, well, people say this, people say that, and this is the the thing right now or whatever like that. Um, and so I was, I was sort of um, disproportionately committed, I think, to doing, doing it that way. Um, and it worked okay, but it wasn't ideal. And I, you know, I was still crashing halfway through the run at the end and stuff like that. And um, 
finally just got comfortable with like the way I do it is going to look different and is, is going to be different and that's okay. And so I just started, you know, based on what I knew kind of didn't work, sort of, you know, trial and error going, this is what works for me and this is what feels good and this is what gets me to the end. And for instance, like when I do a, a longer race where I'm going to have to eat something on the bike, um, I uh, mash up potatoes with butter and salt and a little cheese. And that's what I eat on the bike. <laughs> like, it's just what works. Nice. Yeah. So it gets, because I was struggling with salt intake and I kept trying salt tabs and high salt electrolyte drinks and they were just kind of making me sick and not working. And so I can eat potatoes with a lot of salt in them. And so that's what works. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, we all have to find out what works for us each individually. And yeah. And I may look ridiculous, you know, <laughs> globbing to potatoes into my mouth on my bike, but I don't really care at this point. No, so. I, I don't think you would actually. <laughs> no, I wouldn't care at all. I mean, <laughs> I would say try just adding rosemary to that. That would be fantastic. Ooh. That would be nice and refreshing. Yeah. And I was saying you might want to watch out because there might be a few people trying to steal your potatoes while you're out there. <laughs> like, that looks good. I know. So I also oh. see that. Oh, go ahead. No, I think we're going to ask the same thing. Is it about the ice cream? Well, yeah, I was going to ask about the ice cream and the cookies. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's that all about? You, you seem to have your own ice cream Oh, is, yeah. Is there ice cream, ice cream line? Yes. Um, well, so I, I don't own it. I, I manage uh, a kitchen for a local ice cream shop um, called High Point. Um, and we have two kitchens um, and I manage one of the kitchens. Everything's made from scratch. Um, I'm a baker. And so I manage the kitchen that does all of the cookies or cakes or pies or candy or whatever that goes into the flavors of ice cream because we make everything in house everything from scratch. Um, so that's what I do. How did you get into baking though? I made wedding cakes when I was in college and I don't really, honestly, I don't, it's hard to remember how I fell into that. It was, I think it was a, an acquaintance was working there and it was a, you know, it was a good job and putting myself through school. Um, my degree is actually in medical laboratory science. <laughs> um, ah. so that's what I went to school for. And, um, I worked in that field for about 10 years, um, but I, I made wedding cakes while I was in college to kind of, you know, pay the bills. And about three years ago, uh, the stress of, of working in the medical field had just really gotten to be too much and it was affecting my health. And I just kind of had to walk away and was, you know, looking for something else to do and didn't really know what I wanted to do. I felt a little bit lost. Um, and I loved this ice cream place. It was my favorite place in Denver. And I saw that they were hiring. And I was, you know, it's like, it can't hurt to try. And went in and ended up started working there and then opened this new kitchen for them. And it's just kind of gone from there. That's super exciting. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, given your, you know, the previous, your relationship with food like it's been right the easiest right so I w that's not something I would expect you to get into yeah and I you know I honestly can't eat a ton of what I make 
um, or I can mm-hmm. only eat a small amount of it. Oh, right. So um, it's, yeah, but it's, that's kind of been my way, it, the, the way it's been my whole life. And, and you kind of get used to it. It's like, there are days where it just really makes you mad and you're like, wow, it'd be really nice if I could just eat what I wanted to. Um, but when it's been that way your whole life, you, you do kind of get used to it and it just becomes your flow and it's not like in the forefront of your mind all the time. Well, I saw that your ice cream is in, is it in Whole Foods now? Yeah. Well, Whole Foods in Colorado. In Colorado. So it's statewide. Yes. Well done. Very cool. Thank you. It's been a huge project because we're a very small company. What's the name? High Point Creamery. What sort of ice cream is it? Is it like special, uh, like for low calories or or special, just yummy, yummy? No. <laughs> um, it's well, it's it's all house made flavors, and we we do the basics, you know, the the chocolate and mint chocolate and um, butter pecan or whatever like that. But then we also have our own unique flavors, like we do a, um, a basil infused ice cream with blackberry jam. Oh my god. Yeah, or um, a salted chocolate. Um, we do a whiskey ice cream with pistachio brittle. Um, so it's some some pretty interesting yeah, flavors honestly, that are really yeah. delicious. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm actually I'm going to Colorado next month, so maybe I'm gonna stop by a Whole Foods and get that whiskey one you just mentioned <laughs> because I think that's out. Yeah. Yes, it is in Whole Foods. You should try that one out. It's really good. Okay. Okay. We'll do. I love how we've been talking about ice cream for five minutes. <laughs> it's a good thing to talk I about. <laughs> yeah. I can I can talk about it mm-hmm. and eat it for more than five minutes. <laughs> I, thought, I thought this was an ice cream podcast, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we could totally get into texture and everything else, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, I can talk to you for hours about ice cream if you want me to. <laughs> No, all the ins and outs. You can teach us how to make it afterwards. How's that? Okay. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Trade secrets. That's right. So I see that you have a coach now. Yes. For, is your coach for triathlon or your coach for like everything like running and? Um, it's triathlon specifically. Okay. I started working with him about, it was probably about six months after I did that first sprint um because I had continued to train um after I after I did that first sprint but I didn't really have any uh races lined up I didn't really know where I was going or how to do it really other than just I want to continue doing this and he was um a friend of my mom's coach actually and my mom was like oh you know he lives in Colorado you should you know chat with him and so we kind of sat down and just really, really hit it off. And, um, I started coaching with him in, in January about five years ago, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and he helped me that, that following year kind of train through, uh, doing longer distances and how to transition from sprint to Olympic and then Olympic to, uh, 70.3. Oh, does he go with you to your races? Sometimes. Um, he actually, he lives in Georgia. So he, he lived in Colorado at the time. Um, so he lives in Georgia now. Um, and we telecoach, I guess is what you would call it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the um, the first 70.3 that I did in Austin, back when Iron Man Austin was still a thing, we actually, he did it as well. We did it together. Um, so we trained together and actually raced together. 
And now he just sends you a training plan and tells you that when your times come in on, on training peaks, yeah. it's just not fast enough and you have to do more. <laughs> Is that what he does? Yeah. And, and you know, look, yeah. And it's, it, it works. I don't know that I would um, necessarily start out telecoaching with someone, but having been, you know, in the same place for two and a half years or whatever, really got a system going and a good dialogue and everything like that. It was fine to transition. That's that's awesome that you have a coach to help now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was like the first one you had when you started looking for a coach. So it's cool that he was able to, yeah. you found the right person. Right. And he's, um, he has, he works predominantly actually with um, athletes who are looking to uh, lose weight through endurance hmm. uh, sports. And because that's what he did. He lost a great deal of weight doing triathlon. And so when I was initially referred to him, like I had looked up his business and everything and he is, you know, overweight to endurance athlete. And so I sat down with him and everything. And I was like, you know, this is great. And we hit it off. But honestly, like, I'm not your typical client, right? I'm, I'm trying to gain weight. <laughs> and so I was like, this, this seems great. But do you, you know, I'm, I don't really think I fit into your business model. And he was like, actually, I think you fit in great to my business model <laughs> because it's just the flip side of the same thing. You know, it's 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 looking at diet, it's looking at fueling, it's looking at, you know, how to appropriately take care of your body. Um, and he was right. He was absolutely right. Um, he was very uniquely qualified to help me with that. Yeah, I think uh, finding a coach is like dating, you know, in the end, uh, just try it out and uh, <laughs> see how it goes. Uh, I mean, my first coach and me, we had a sort of a rough relationship a little bit here and there. Yeah. But now I love I love my coach now. So I think I found the right person. That's wonderful. Understand each other very well. No, we have on the same wavelength. Very important. He qualifies for Kona. I just uh, try to finish, but uh, we understand each other, right? So, yeah. Same. <laughs> I'm I'm the yeah, try to finish exactly. group. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big proponent of of coaching. I think I think it's I think it has to be difficult, you know, to go go it on your own all the time and try to, yeah. you know, how do you improve, watch videos, things like that all on your own, but where's the feedback for you? Where's the change in your program? You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think it's, it's important to have a coach. I agree. It, it was, a, it made a big difference for me. And even, you know, little stuff like wondering if I'm actually on the right track and having someone that can be like, no, you absolutely are, or "Eh, not really. Let's try this. Like, you don't have to just sit there and wonder, like, am I actually doing the right thing here? Is this actually working? Am I, you know, go in six months, am I going to be where I'm trying to get that kind of thing? For sure. So what do you guys have, um, talking about now in terms of, of what's, what's next for you in terms of your next athletic event? I want desperately to complete a full Ironman. I've done four 70.3 and I want to at least try to do a full. Um, So that's probably going to take some years of work. Um, And that's, that's part of what I'm doing this year. Um, I've done one full marathon, which went all right. (laughs) But it made me realize that, um, you know, I have a lot of work to do in that area. And if I'm going to do a full, then that that distance of running is going to have to look different. 
Um, so this year I'm kind of focusing on the marathon and training for marathon. I'm going to do the Savannah marathon in November and maybe another one, you know, somewhere late summer. Um, and then we're just kind of breaking it down into chunks. And so this year I'm focusing on running and becoming a stronger runner. Um, and then next year going to focus on the long distance cycling and same thing, stronger cyclist. And it's just going to take time for me breaking it down into individual pieces and then putting it all together and working on it as an entire sport after that. Nice. I think it's very, a very methodical approach. Yeah. I have a friend who's doing that this year as well. Yeah. He, I think he hit some sort of peak and now he's going back and saying, I'm going to start the you know, dedicate like four, six months to running and four, six months to cycling and then mm -hmm. build up. And then honestly, there's no, there's no rush. No one is pushing you. There's people who finish Ironmans in 70, 80 years old. So honestly, <laughs> I have time. Thank I don't think she wants to wait that long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I... I'm exaggerating a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Just putting some context. That's no, it's very good context. You got 40 years. You can do it. Okay. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> is there any place, I know it's far away, but is there any particular Iron Man that kind of catches your interest that you'd you'd like to go to, whether it's somewhere far away to try or travel or somewhere warm or um, sea level. So <laughs> train high, race low, right? I live in Denver. Yeah. I live at altitude, <laughs> so I train at altitude. And so racing at sea level really does give you an advantage, and it feels better. <laughs> so is it basically anywhere at sea level, I'm that's that's always what grabs my attention. I have raced so many different times in the heat that I would kind of like to find something. I mean, it's obviously going to be hot. It's during the daytime, like sun, whatever. But I would like to try to find something that's like maybe not 90 degrees Fahrenheit um, because every single long distance race I've done has been at least at least that. <laughs> so that would that would be nice to find something maybe just a touch cooler. <laughs> Yeah, we were talking about earlier before you we we started the podcast how you booked a September late September race in Canada. Yeah, I did Barrel Man last year, and it, it was amazing. I mean, it's a beautiful race, but I I did not train for it to be that hot. I wasn't anticipating it being that hot, and I've never been that hot in my life. <laughs> I could not cool down. <laughs> Yeah, it was like the shocker race, right? You come up it to was. Canada in September thinking for a nice cool race and you get like like 90 degree weather and, and the humidity to match. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I was I was pouring, you know, water and ice all over myself. And usually like you know, you're you're in a, a hot race or something, you'll pour the ice water on yourself and at least for a few seconds, like your skin feels cool. Like you kind of feel the shock of the ice or whatever. At Barrel Man, like I would pour ice all over myself and it was like it didn't even do anything. It didn't cool my skin down at all. Well, the good news is, is if in a couple of years you want to do it again, they are moving it a week later into September. So that one week can make a huge difference in terms of the temperature. So. Yeah. And that, I mean, that swim was just absolutely gorgeous. I loved that swim. And so I would, I would definitely do the race again, just maybe after they've moved the date and it won't be hopefully just so, this so year hot. they're moving it this year. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that swim is amazing. So if any of you guys are traveling to 
Ontario for anything. Um, the Barrelman swim is great, but they also do some open water swims in there. Oh, yeah. uh, it's the International um, uh, Flat Water Center. So they used it for the Pan American Games is where they did the the, the kayak racing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it's, it's like a pool outside, but it's not a pool. It's like still open water, but it's it's like swimming in a pool yeah. and there's a, a guide rope from where the boats go through. So under the water, there's a guide rope. So you can actually follow the guide rope. You don't even have to sight. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, I struggle. The swim is probably my, my least, uh, least strong aspect, which I mean, if, if you're going to have to have one, I guess swim would be the one, you know, you're in the water, the shortest amount of time, but I, it's definitely, definitely the weak leg of my race. So I'm always looking for like, if it's advertised, like, Oh, this is a really great swim or like a clear water swim. Or like, um, I did Augusta for instance, you know, it's a downwater, it's a down river swim. You get pushed along the entire time. <laughs> it, you swim in the Savannah river. It's a point to point swim. And so you literally just get pushed along by the current the entire time. And then you do these amazing times and you feel like a superstar. Right. And, well, and you do, you, you put up, you post an amazing time and come out of the water just like, oh, well, that felt nice. I'm not even out of breath. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one to do. I, I really, really enjoyed that race a lot. So Charles had mentioned in the opening about your hair <laughs> and you have, and we noticed like, it looks really amazing. Thank you. Um, you have colored hair. So how, well, one, why? And two, how do you with your color? Um, I, so the first, the first triathlon that I did, I actually still had very long hair. I had like waist length hair. And I've always been a kind of a short hair person, but sort of, you know, society pressures, cultures, whatever, you know, you, you want to sort of fit in and, and look like everybody else looks. And so I had, I had grown my hair out. I grew my hair out really long and kept it that way through, you know, all this training and everything. And then I did this race and I, you know, I just always had my hair in a braid and, it was hot and it was, you know, tiresome to deal with. <laughs> and um, a few months after I did that first race and I had really kind of built a, you know, relationship in the tri, tri community and got to know a lot of people and, you, you know, you're just not going to look good out there. You're just not. <laughs> and so you're going to be, you're going to be dirty and sweaty and, and, and gross. And so it's, you know, I just kind of little by little, let go of that, you know, need to, to look like everyone else or, or whatever. And I was like, no, I like short hair. And so cut all my hair off, um, that year went back to my short hair, made me super happy. And then just sort of more and more, I had bright color streaks when I was in college and then you get a, you know, grown up job and you're supposed to look professional. Um, but yeah, same thing, just little by little, it was like, no, I really like my bright color streaks. And so I, I just put them back in. I was like, you know, if if the hospital doesn't like it, they can tell me to not. Um, and nobody ever said anything. So I just kept doing it. Um, and then the year that I was training for Augusta, so two years ago, um, it was an extremely hot summer in Denver and I was outside just running all the time outside in the sun. And I was just warmer and warmer and warmer and warmer. And I did a really long 
run one day and I was just so hot and my head was just so hot and I got home and got the clippers out and shaved the sides of my head <laughs> because I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> um, and wow. I have kept it that way ever since. So after you shaved your side of your head, did you, so I know if I shaved the sides of my head, because I've tried to shave even my own dog and it's really sad. <laughs> it, it would look terrible if I tried to do it myself. So now, is it something you'd done previously? Like if, have you shaved hair before or did you have to go to the hairdresser and get it fixed? Um, no, I, um, so I, with my, you know, with my hair being short, that's why I had clippers at my house. Like the electric clippers was, um, I would, I would kind of maintain my edges. Um, but that was about all I had done. But I, in this, it is like it's hair, it grows back, whatever. And I just kind of went over the edge of being so hot <laughs> all the time. And I just like, I kind of lost it. And, and I was like, if I completely screw it up, like I'll go get somebody to fix it. Um, and just sort of like pulled the top of it up into a ponytail. So I wouldn't just like get everything super uneven and then just kind of went to town. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it, it worked out. I don't know that I would necessarily recommend doing that, um, but it, it, it worked out that time. Yeah, but you look good. And, and also I've seen a picture of you on Instagram that you have this this leather jacket that is the, looks like the same color of that hair piece. So it's like yes. perfect, the uniforms. Like Yes, it's, it's kind of a favorite. I, I tend to gravitate towards those colors. So I have a lot of stuff that sort of matches like that. Nice, nice. So you learn to completely just embrace yourself in whatever weird way that is. Yeah, it's it's been very, very freeing to sort of um, step outside of the bubble of doing things for reasons other than wanting to do them. It's, you know, I spent most of my life kind of trying to conform or at least fit in because I didn't. Um, you know, I couldn't do so many things or I was told I couldn't do so many things that I really just wanted to kind of look like everyone else and not be stuck on the outside. Um, and I kind of thought when I started training to do a triathlon, I kind of thought that was maybe what would happen. And it turns out that's absolutely the opposite <laughs> of what happened. Um, but it was because I sort of found myself, you know, all these all these hours you spend by yourself, you know, in the pool or on the trail. And, you know, you're just, you're just out there with yourself, by yourself, with your thoughts and, and you can't get away from yourself. And so you just really learn who you are. Um, and over time, I just really, I got to know myself and became very comfortable with that and started living accordingly. Nice. Good message. <laughs> it, it is. And do you, and I find I'm not sure if you probably find the same thing is that the triathlon community is so open and supportive and accepting of everyone. It like that, that was one of the things that initially drew me to the sport was how, you know, it didn't matter what you look like or what your abilities or disabilities are like you have a place here. It was, it was this, this world all of a sudden, instead of being told, you know, no, you can't, or you look wrong, you look sick or, or too skinny or whatever. It was this world where basically everyone was like, you can, you can try, you can give this a try. You belong here. 
And it's, you know, the, the course doesn't care what you look like. No. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty incredible to find that, that, you know, this, this huge community and space where you can just, you can just be, and you can just work hard and that's celebrated. Yeah. I think all triathletes, we understand, you know, we, we, we all do triathlon. So we are sort of kind of crazy, all of us. Right. <laughs> so much time training and you know, like, half of our living time, like swimming, bike run, swimming, bike run, swimming, bike run, and then we have to go to these races. So you know what? It's like, we, we just the same. Like, it doesn't matter, right? It's like, yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, so I kind of technically have a blog that I think I've only posted on like four times in four years um, because I'm, I don't, I'm not able to write consistently. But um, after one day I had, um, realized it had probably been like, you know, three weeks since I'd put any makeup on my face or something like that. Um, wrote down thoughts about um, triathlon doesn't make you pretty. And over time, the longer the distance, the more you realize like you you show up with, you know, goggle face and, <laughs> and you don't ever pay attention to your nails because you don't ever have all of them. And um, you have the hairstyle of I swam and then put on a bike helmet and it dried this way. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was yeah no it's and everybody knows what you're talking about because it's just what happens over and over and you just stop caring somewhere along the way it's true yeah <laughs> you're just too tired or don't have any time to care about all that stuff right and your arms are just tired and and you don't you just want some soft clothes because that, that I, I just really don't want to put jeans on today no it's all about comfort right yeah no, I totally, I totally get that. At least you still color your hair. I do. That's, yeah. that's my one holdout. And it's like, I tried a couple of years ago to go back to just sort of a, a neutral, like brown, red color, because I was kind of tired of maintaining the bright colors. Um, it, it can be a little bit of a chore. You have to redo yeah. it about every three or four weeks. It, well, on the outside, it really needs to be redone about every two. Um, so it's kind of, I was kind of tired of messing with it. So I was like, eh, I'm just going to let it go. And I lasted about three days, I think, before I put the bright colors back in. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's the one thing that gets important, right? There, we all have one little thing that's important. Yeah. So it's it to keep doing. Right. And it's, it's, yeah, I, I kind of try to match whatever my jersey is going to be that season like kind of try to tie in the colors but I, I I tend to gravitate towards the purples anyway so it's it's usually some version of that I did have blue for a little while but it's been purple or pink for quite some time now I um I see you have a a, a baby bunny I guess he's not a baby anymore. Yeah. Well, he's, he's not a baby. He's eight years old now. Yeah. Grandpa bunny. He is a grandpa bunny. <laughs> yeah. What's his name? He's been, his name is Atticus. Okay. He's been, he's been with me, well, since he was a baby. I got him when he was about six months old as a rescue. Um, but he's, he's cage free. So he's trained to a litter box and he's uh, trained to voice commands also. So he just has the run of my apartment. Wow. How do you keep him from chewing the baseboards? He is not one to chew. I was fortunate. Just his personality. I mean, he still will. Like if he's feeling spiteful that I wasn't paying attention to him or scolded him or something, he'll chew on one of my shirts. Okay. Um, 
but but just like by personality he doesn't chew stuff up somebody's do and he just doesn't so yeah i um in our house we have the same type of bunny as you and uh Aww. our bunny's seven his okay. name's mr potts <gasps> so and, yeah and we have we would like him to run around. So he's, he's litter box trained. He mm-hmm. comes over and butts his head on you until you pet him. Like he's wonderful and all those things, but he chews everything. He ate my couch. Oh, yeah. No. The baseboards yeah. rips like, like the paper, like anything off the wall. Like he'll find oh. When I, so I've had other bunnies that did chew stuff up. Um, and I believe it is sour cherry juice like uh you have to like special order it it's not like just something you would get from the store that has sugar in it but actual sour cherry juice you can get in a spray bottle the taste is like super offensive to them oh and they tend to leave stuff alone it's not foolproof but it can keep them from just like chewing up everything yeah so he's in he's caged like but when we are around like when we're home, we can let him out as long as we watch him. But you can keep an eye, yeah, yeah. So maybe we'll try that. Yeah, so you can, yeah, give that a try. Like I said, it's not foolproof, um, but it can kind of like take the edge off of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool that you have. Most people, I say, like, yeah, he's cage free, he's litter trained. They're like, oh my god, you can do that to a bunny. It's like, yes, you can do that to a bunny. Oh yeah, they're wonderful. They're cute little they're guys. They're so much smarter than people give them credit for. Oh yeah, they know what they want, and if you don't, yeah. funny because if you don't pet them or put pay the attention, if that's what they want, then they like they even make a little grunting sound, right? They'll grunt and they'll stomp their feet, yeah. and like I said, if he's feeling especially spiteful, he'll find something of mine and actually chew on it yeah. on purpose <laughs> to to show me he's not happy with me. Pet me, yes, but yeah, he's he's my little one. I I live you know in a in a condo downtown and don't have the space or the, or the lifestyle to have like a dog or something. I I would love to have a dog, but I know I would not be a good dog owner right now. Um, uh, and it's been the case for quite some time. So yeah, he's, he's my pal. Yeah. That's cool. So mother's day is this weekend. Yes. Um, are you going to get to see your mom? I know you guys. Yeah, she's no, she's here with us. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. It's me and my mom and my sister here. So, so you have any special plans? We're going out tonight, and honestly, tomorrow we're planning to sleep. <laughs> it's been a whirlwind few days, and we're going to sleep tomorrow, and then we found this this place to go to brunch tomorrow. So, you know, just really have kind of a chill day, and um, my mom travels for work um, every week, oh. and so she, um, you know, she's usually pretty busy. She's She's gone Monday through Friday, uh, gets back to Denver Friday morning and is there for the weekend and then goes back out on, on Mondays. And so she's, she's looking forward to a little downtime tomorrow, but we're, we're probably going to go for a run. She and I are probably going to go for a run in the morning. So looking forward to that. That sounds like a great mother's day. Yeah. Yeah. Should be really fun. All right, Rachel. So to sort of wrap things up and take us to the end of the show, we just have a final few questions here. Okay. What's the message you want people listening to take away from your story? Don't let people tell you what you can and cannot do. Um, you're the only one who can decide that. Um, it's it's not always easy, and 
it may look different from the next person and they may, so I had to get comfortable with that as well. Um, you know, people see me and I'm a young, seemingly fit person. And so they're asking me about times and did you win? And I would feel almost embarrassed, you know, like, no, I finished with six minutes to spare, you know? Um, but that was, that's my race and it's not their race. And so don't let anyone tell you what you can and can't do and never be embarrassed of what it looks like when you do it. Love that. And are there any people or brands that you like to give a shout out to? Well, my mom that I've been talking about this whole time. <laughs> um, but then my coach, uh, Richard also, and we talked about a little bit, but he was, he was really the one who, um, you know, when in a, in a sea of people going, you know, ah, I don't know if you can do this. I don't, I'm not sure. He was the one that said, uh, here's how, here's how we try. Um, and he, he never said, you know, oh, I know you can do this because it was not a guarantee. You know, maybe I couldn't, but he said, here's how we try. And here's the work that we do, um, to try to get there and just came, came alongside me and, and said, you know, here's how we're going to try to get there. And I would not have been able to do it otherwise. Awesome. Okay, and before we ask our last question, tell everyone listening where they can follow you online. So I am Pixie Rachel on Instagram and uh, Rachel Wall on uh, Facebook, Rachel Wall 86, I believe, if you're looking up the actual username handle, it's Rachel Wall 86. Um, and that's about all I have. I'm not a huge social media user. Cool. And our last question is, why do you try? I try because I know that I can. Because so many people said that I couldn't, but I know that I can. And it's to show, it's to remind myself who I am and how strong I am. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Rachel. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you. It was great. Yay. Thank you very much, Rachel. <laughs> it was so nice to sort of meet all of you. <laughs> yeah. Ba ba It's time for your favorite moment of the week, of your entire week. It's Community Comments with Charles, Triple C, CCC, CQB. It's finally here. Your hot podcast reviews revealed to the world. And next week, it could be yours. But this time we're going to go to the land down under, Australia. And our hot listener says, great stuff. Beautiful stories coming from great athletes and human beings. There are stories of suffering and pain behind each great athlete. But also there are stories of growth and greatness. So this comes from Nestor Alejandro Ochoa, an Ironman certified coach who lives in Australia but he's originally from Colombia. Nuestro hermano colombiano, vea pues. And you can also find him on Insta at Nestorin10. Muchas gracias, Nestor. And FYI, we are in Facebook, on Instagram, on Strava. We have our own website. Yes, www.humansoftriathlon.com. And you can find us on every single podcast platform out there, including Apple Music, um, and iTunes. So, until next time, 
Good fight and good night. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for being a part of this Humans of Triathlon community. Hope you're enjoying the show and the other content. Make sure to join us again next week here on the Hot Podcast, where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this Audrey but extra Audrey world of triathlon. Until then, everyone, keep trying. <laughs>